There are uh, two things, two things I love about the Bible, which I want to share with you this morning, all right? Love this book. First of all, the Bible confirms what you and I tend to experience in life. Most of the time, the Bible helps us interpret life experience and lets us know what to do about it. But sometimes it works the other way around, where you experience something which you kind of know in your gut is true. And then you realize, oh, the Bible actually says this and says it much better than I could ever articulate it. This happened to me in the summer of 1999. I was attending a university at the time and having lunch with a friend. And we were talking about prayer. The subject turned to prayer. And I said, hey, Reuben, uh, here's the deal. I think I'm really going to make a change in my prayer life. I realized something this morning that I'm, I'm pretty small. I lack experience. And frankly, I'm not smart. And he said to me, dude, I've been trying to tell you that for a long time. But you would never listen. I was like, come on, dude. Shut up. <laughs> I'm being vulnerable here, right? I went on to say, you know, here's what I figure. God is huge vast, knows infinitely more than me, and since I am small, unworldly, and stupid, and he already knows what I need before I ask him, I really should just shut up, listen, and let him do most of the talking. Well, I never before read the book of Ecclesiastes until that September, and I just finished reading chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes that morning. And so the following morning, after our lunch conversation, I turned the page to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And if you could turn there with me as well. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, God's Word. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow, and that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say to the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, kind of daydreams here, and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. So having read this, I call my friend back up and say, Reuben, remember what I said about being small and experienced stupid? Since I figure that he's larger and infinitely more knowledgeable than me, I should really just pipe down? It's like, yeah. I said, dude, that's actually in the Bible. It's here. He's like, oh man, that's really cool. I said, yeah, it is. And you know what that means? That means you are small, inexperienced, and stupid, so you need to shut up and listen. All right? He didn't laugh like you did, <laughs> but, but we laughed later. So, what we're going to do is discuss what is often an obstacle in prayer listening and hearing from God. This is a Weighty, massive subject loaded with questions and fraught with potential missteps. And we're going to kind of get to what we can this morning. But I think what Solomon tells us, King Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes is as good a place to start as any. Plus, it points us to a second thing 
I want to tell you about why I love the Bible. And that is the Bible has a book for every person in virtually any situation. I love this about Scripture. A, a book for almost every situation, for any person. Why does your life suck? Read Genesis, especially chapter 3. All right, that's why life is hard and difficult, sometimes tragic. You feel alone in your suffering. You've got the book of Job. All right, if you're happy, sad, angry, joyful, indifferent, embarrassed, thankful, or sometimes all seven within 60 seconds, you got the Psalms. Right? The Psalms are like the emotionally schizophrenic's guide to joy. All right? If you're concerned about business dealings, relational stress, why your mouth seems to get you in trouble so much, you got the book of Proverbs. You want advice or tips on a good sex life? That's right. The Bible talks about that. Song of Solomon. If you want to meet God's rescuer, you have the Gospels. And if you want to know how to be rescued and how to assist in the rescue of others, you have the letters in the New Testament, Paul's letters. And if you wonder, why am I here? Not this morning. But why am I here in general? What, what's the meaning of all of this? With all the deceit, not to mention temporary nature of everything in my life, is what I'm doing in my life really making any kind of difference, any kind of impact? If you're asking those questions and you have the time and, frankly, education to work through those questions, you have Ecclesiastes. In other words, Ecclesiastes is especially helpful for the wealthy skeptic. Especially helpful, and it is helpful. A favorite uh, seminary professor of mine had a fellow, sem- uh, a fellow professor colleague of his who was a skeptic, heard about God, heard about Jesus ad nauseum, had never read the book of Ecclesiastes, was given it, read it, came to trust Jesus through reading this book. This is the wisest thing I've ever read. This book, Ecclesiastes, was written in the golden age of Israel. There was tremendous wealth under King Solomon in the 10th century uh, B.C., and, and tremendous peace It was under him, that for the last time, Israel and Judah were united and at peace as one kingdom for the final time. And whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we can relate. Because the vast majority of us who live and came in, 95% of us, maybe not all of you, there might be an exception out here, most of us are wealthy, relatively speaking. If you are single and you have $2,000 in bank and stocks and pension or even invested in your car, you're in the top half of the world's wealth. Just $2,000 of assets and something. If if you're married with a family and you have $4,000 in bank, stocks, pensions, and and a house, the grass is greener on your side. But this is not a sermon about being, how being wealthy is wrong, it's not. Uh, nor why you should give to God through his church, though you should. <laughs> but I don't want us to kid ourselves. We, we talk about the economy being tight, to job security being tight, but, but for most of us, we're really talking about how a lesser job may be less satisfying. We're having, asking questions like, will I have the same quality of life with something different? We're not asking, will I have food? So relatively speaking, friends, you, you are wealthy. Me too. And my reason to bring this up is that this sort of existential questioning, this sort of 
despair, existential despair, tends to occur more out of plenty than it does out of want. If you live somewhere else or you're in a different socioeconomic situation, where there is want, there is pleading with God. There's even sometimes anger, maybe even a deep-seated bitterness towards God, but there is emotion. There's certainly a raw emotion, always teetering on potential trust in Jesus and who he is, on, on him as our rock. But with wealth, especially when a person finally discovers the emptiness of their bottomless, bottomless wallet, with wealth often comes a sort of resignation that sort of tries to pursue meaning in a meandering fashion. You just wonder, what is this about? Is this really worth it? But it's kind of withdrawn, and that's Ecclesiastes. Sometimes you find it dry and cold, and, but it's, it's a wealthy skeptic. How can wealthy skepticism do? What can it do in terms of how we approach God? How can it affect the way we approach God? One, it will lead to questioning and despairing. Most of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, as he calls himself, wonders, why do I work? Why do I live? Do I live only for my own pleasure? Why do I even approach God at all? And if you're here and that's you this morning, then I'm glad you're here. Because that is, that are worse places to be than where you're at. Because at the end of that rope, you could find Christ. But secondly, what can wealthy skepticism do in terms of how we approach God? It can cause us to go through the motions in order to keep God at a distance. In other words, there's a religious element to this. People who pray, but the words are rote, they're empty. They sound as if they're from a looping tape recorder. Religious words that may have once had a real authenticity and, and, and vigor when they were uttered from your mouth a, a, a month, a year, a decade ago. But now they kind of ring hollow. And so we repeat what we once meant, hoping that God's okay with it. That's who Solomon's addressing in these verses, the wealthy religious skeptic at heart. One who says, yeah, I'm going to come to church, I'm going to be with God, but in reality, I kind of want him at a distance. And since you're at church this morning, you're more likely to be in the second category, or at least you face the constant danger of going through the motions but keeping God at a distance. So for those of us in the situation we could do with a healthy dose of awe in our life. Letting the Creator speak and submitting to what He says as the created. How do we do that? Well, let's see what Solomon, what wisdom Solomon has to give us this morning. But let me say this first. This isn't child's play. All right, I, in fact, Richard Foster, in his really seminal great work on prayer, his book on prayer, he, he has this chapter on listening to God. You know what he says at the beginning of this chapter? He says, you may want to skip this chapter. I read that and I'm like, I never heard that in a book before. Like, What a way to sell books, right? (laughs) You may want to skip this part. It might not be worth reading. Uh, Geez, that's 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 an odd way to begin this. But his point was this, that the first time around, if you're uh, just starting to pray, Listening and hearing what God has to say and discerning it and and trying to figure out, is this from God? That's heavy stuff. So this morning's sermon is going to be a little bit heavier. because Solomon hints in these verses at things like self-examination, silence, listening, waiting, uh, reading, memorizing, obeying, all his keys to hearing from God. Now, are those some of your favorite things? 
Probably not. You know, that's like a real killjoy for many of us. It doesn't have to be when it's drawing near to God. When we hear that list, not normally a list of our favorite things. So this morning, what I'm going to present to you is, is not a formula, but hopefully a wise positional plan. What I mean by this is doing the things I'm going to describe. Don't do anything of themselves, but they're more likely to put us in a position where something can be done. All right, I want to make that very clear. All right? So, a wise positional plan. Let's see what Solomon has to say. Number one, self-examine. Verse one, he starts out and says, guard your steps when you go near to the house of God. Literally, this means to pay attention to the direction of your feet. Examine yourself honestly. When you are, where are your feet pointed? Where are you pointed? Where is your life oriented? When you are on your way to worship, are you self-oriented or are you God-oriented? Think about Sunday morning worship for a minute here. When you wake up, there are all kinds of distractions, all kinds of places your feet can, can go and things that can pull. And it's a beautiful day. you got the beach. It's a windy day. Kite surfing. Right? If you up late the night before, you have your pillow. Right? These are, these are things that pull us. Our feet want to go in those directions. And every morning we have the option to seek God through word and through prayer. And so much distracts us on a normal day, because you know why? We typically wake up self-oriented because of the sin within us, because of the big no in our hearts. So we might get up in the morning and jog. But why do we really jog? Usually we jog to, I, I jog to extend my life, my life. I get my coffee for my work, right? I, I shave gender-appropriate part of my body to present myself well, so the momentum of every morning already swings towards self. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel that pretty much every morning, and it creates major obstacles to being receptive to what God is saying, to his voice versus our own. A guy named George Mueller, who I love, we'll talk about him more next week, he says about prayer, I seek at the beginning of prayer to get my heart into such a state that it has no will in regard to a given matter, no will of its own, in regard to a given matter, nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Because we have that self-orientation. We, you know, often we don't really want to hear from God, but we want him to confirm what we already want. Like, if I'm honest, like, that's what I often really want in prayer. I just be my yes man, please. What do we do about this? We have to kill it. We have to kill self-orientation through the cross, through the cross of Christ each day. Scripture bears this testimony. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus has cru- have crucified the flesh, the self, with its passions and its desires. Romans 6.6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so we wouldn't be enslaved by it. You know that feeling when you wake up in the morning, you just, I can't stop thinking about me. It's terrible. I sound like a pretty bad person, right? But you know what I'm saying. Colossians 3, 4 and 5, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him one day in glory. What an awesome promise. So Paul says, therefore, put to death 
what is earthly in you. What is attached to self. I want to encourage you, find a way to visit the cross first thing. First thing. For instance, I mean, I, I have some cross-centered hymns on my iPod that I play in my bathroom every morning. I need to hear that. I need to hear about the cross and how Christ died for me and how he wants to give me life. And he wants me to die to self so that I might have life and live for others. I need to hear that message. Or you could be a verse like Galatians 5.24, which I just mentioned about being crucified, crucifying the self. Put that on your bathroom mirror. Stick it on your coffee maker, your espresso maker. Or just have an honest conversation with yourself in the mirror. Some of you know you talk to yourself in the mirror anyway. Come on. It's okay. We're among friends, all right? Look at yourself in the mirror. Be honest. Say, you know what, Lord? I have a hard heart this morning. I need to go to the cross. I need to remember your death, your sacrifice for me so that I might die to self. So, self-examination. Going to the cross. Secondly, listen. Putting yourself in a good position requires listening, which requires a, the waiting word combo. I'll explain what that means in a minute. But we read with me the rest of verse 1 through verse 3 here. To draw near to listen, Solomon says, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. They don't know what they're doing is wrong. And be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. Let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business. It's a much activity of mind, and a fool's voice comes with many words. As one commentator said about that last verse, Solomon's comparing most religious people's prayer life to that of verbal doodling. To say something. Say something. You know, you know no awkward silence. One uh, second century church father, a guy named Clement, once quipped that we've become like old shoes all worn out except for the tongue. All right? Now it's pretty funny for a second century guy. Come on. Right? Got to admit. Not bad. You know, we got a lot of good comedy written on paper back then. So the idea is, though, maybe the problem with our spiritual life is we just need to pipe down and listen. We're worn out. And we need to listen, not be so hasty to talk. To listen out to the divine is like picking up a foreign language. It takes time, and you've got to learn the vocabulary. And it is like a foreign language, right? I mean, that's what, in one way, Solomon is saying here. God is in heaven. He is from a different planet, not just from a different country that speaks a different dialect. He's in heaven. You're on earth. So there is a difference. If you're going to learn a foreign language, it takes a little time, and you've got to learn the vocabulary. Learn the patterns of how God speaks and what he says. So first, the time. It requires waiting. Over and over, the Psalms, the prophets, the, the wisdom literature tells us, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. You, you, remember, you hear these words, right? And it's like, what? What does that mean? And it really is, it's kind of an, you want to wait on him, first of all, to discern if it's really him speaking. And it is sort of an, an art in a way. You start to ask others who seem close to Jesus, hey, you know, I feel like God's telling me this. What do you think? What is it, how does it sound? You learn to listen to God and, and listening for the divine. You're going to have all these distractions. knocking. It's like distractions are like an unwelcome solicitor at the door. It takes time to focus on your task. 
when someone is constantly knocking at the door of your heart, right? So slowly it fades. All the thoughts in our minds. I think too often, one of the things we do with regard to hearing from God, too, is that we, we say we've heard some, from him so casually. It, it starts sometimes with, maybe you've done this if you've walked with the Lord for a little bit, you don't want to wait so you convince a friend, a partner in ministry, a spouse. You know, it seems like God wants me to blank. I think God's telling me blank. And then you get to the boldest one. God told me that we should be dating. <laughs> so, all right, so let's, we should do this. All right, this sort of thing. Wait, wait, wait. But it also requirement requires as you wait. You, when you wait and you listen, you do nothing. The wisest thing to do is reading and memorize words. Reading and memorizing God's vocabulary. How does one tell the difference between what his own heart is telling him or her and what God is telling? Jeremiah 17.9 says the problem is pretty serious. It says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. Think about that, above all things. Okay, there's a lot of deception in the world. Our heart is more deceptive. Ours is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right, we feel something. We think something. We think that must be what I'm supposed to do. But in reality, it might be the most deceptive thing. The one reliable guide against which all else is measured, our feelings, our thoughts, our inclinations, our, even our desires, is the Bible. There's a reason why all 66 books of it are called the canon biblical canon. Canon is the Greek word that literally means measuring stick. It's the measuring stick because we measure all else against it. Feelings, thoughts, desires. So think about this with me for a moment. Let me give you a couple of examples. Think about what you might legitimately feel you're hearing from God. Let me give you a couple of examples. Here's one. I think I'm not the kind of person who needs community. Or another way to put it, God wants me to take a break from church. Kind of two different angles to this, this, this idea. And it's not as unusual as you might imagine, this thought. And on its own, based on personality types, I'm an introvert, based on trust issues that I've had from my past, it might even sound legitimate. I think maybe God is telling me that. But thankfully, we have God's word to measure what we think we're hearing, but in reality, we're just feeling. For example, Proverbs 18.1 says this, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. It's just unwise. You're seeking your own thing. No sound judgment. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. That habit of giving up meeting together. No, let's, let's meet together. Encourage one another. So God's word informs our hearts where our hearts can often deceive us. Let me give you another example. Maybe you've had a conflict with someone and you sense God saying, you know what? I sense God saying just to completely let it go. It'll be okay. You know, time heals all wounds. Now, how many times have we been told that, right? Time heals all wounds, just let it go. 
And I've heard that too, and I believed it, but it is a lie from the pit of Sheol. All right? When unchecked, such wounds usually turn into deeper scar tissue. All right? They settle. They go from anger to bitterness in the other person's heart when there's conflict. Time does not just heal wounds, friends. It doesn't. It creates walls that get bigger and bigger and firmer and firmer. But I can understand how many of us think this. If not for scriptures like Matthew 18, 15 through 17, where Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you, if there's conflict, go and tell him his fault just between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother because the aim of resolution and, and peacemaking is always gaining back a brother or a sister. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. It's very wise. Take, take someone else who's been in the situation. And if it creates a big conflict on the body of Christ, you know, if he refuses to even listen then, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him like he needs to know Jesus. That's the third step, all right? But without these steps without hearing from God. How do we know this? We don't. We go by our feelings, our thoughts, just our basic inclinations. We think maybe that's God speaking to us. Thankfully, we have God's word. Now, for a number of years, I spent time in a church that believed in and, and, and practiced all of the spiritual gifts, gifts like speaking in tongues and, and especially the gift of prophecy. And now in this age we live in, Prophecy, which is mentioned extensively in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, among other places, is a spiritual gift by which the Holy Spirit impresses upon a person words or an image that is both from God, when it's legitimately from God, and it's not as authoritative as Scripture. So thankfully people should say, if they think they heard from God, things like, I think God might be telling me this for you. I can't, I'd like to get into this subject a lot more deeply. I don't have time, but in this church... Thankfully, this was how the leaders approached it like this, that it was not as authoritative as Scripture, but it could be from God, and we need to speak it. And even still, with that responsible leadership, there was some wacky stuff that said, all right? When you open up a form and say, hey, uh, let people speak something from God, there were some wacky things, all right? Thankfully, it was done responsibly, often personally. Uh, you know, we had a separate service for some of these things, all right? But look. Some wacky stuff. I mean, Dalmatians, Tonka Trucks, uh, Gene Simmons from the band Kiss, all in the same prophecy. <laughs> all right, I'm serious. I, I, got one. I mean, it was like, what? Well, what is this? But two people I took particularly seriously when they said they might have something to say to me that was from the Lord or might be from God. And, and, and one of these men... One of these was a man, the other was a woman. This man in particular who wrote down all the things he thought God might be bringing to his mind. And so he wrote these things down, and I kept them in a folder. All right? and, and this week, I just went back and I looked at them. I mean, this guy had a number of things to say, and, and he always wanted to pray about it. He did it lovingly. But I look back this week, and I recall why I really respected this guy and him hearing from God. Because whether the image involved uh, fishing, searching, uh, hunting, feasting, they were all directly from God's Word or they were saturated with God's Word. All right, just biblical imagery, biblical comparisons, biblical characters, many of which 
really convicted me. And, and as I look back this last week, some which came to fruition actually happened. I compare this to some emails and forwards I get. I get some things like, like cyclones of blessing or, or, or People say God has told them to get ready to abandon their old ways of doing things because he's going to do a new thing through the Holy Spirit and then they attach an Old Testament verse to it. And I've just gotten that email, that word, so many times. I, I, it's difficult. It's difficult when you get that out of the blue. And often what God does through the Spirit is speak old words with fresh applications and into new context. Does that make sense? Old words, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. With the most important things he gave us here, don't you think? And so he gives us new ways of applying it and puts it in a new context. Get to know the divine vocabulary. Read it, memorize it. You know what? Use it as an internet password. Get into your online bank account. Think about what great accountability that is. I can't access my money unless I remember John 14, 6. <laughs> All right? Well, what a great thing to do! Great idea. Because God's word is what he'll actually use most often to speak today. Let it saturate your thoughts. So listen, which requires a waiting word combo. Finally, a wise way to put yourself in a good position. Do what you hear. Right? Solomon basically says here, when you make a vow to God, don't delay in paying it and doing it. He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. Now, the context here is when an Old Testament worshiper would promise to perform a specific act, usually a sacrifice of an animal, if God would respond to a particular request. Frankly, it was wrong and manipulative. <laughs> I mean, right? You know, like, God, okay, I will give you this if you do something for me. Right? I mean, but it become a little bit common at this time. And God was gracious enough to still act and people would respond, which is not too different from our corporate worship experience today. Right, hopefully through his word this morning, God will convict you, encourage you, even rescue you. And then how we respond to God's active word, we do it with song. Right? And what we're essentially saying with song in a few minutes here is, yes, Lord, you have worked through your word. You have been active. You have worked through it. And now I declare I'm going to love you with my life. So how God might apply this to our life is this. Okay, you've heard it. You've said it, now do it. Follow through. And this is so important, not just to have a closer relationship with Jesus, but I think what you'll find is that as you do God's will, as you find yourself in the center of God's will, he will begin to reveal more of himself to you. He'll begin to reveal more of his will to you. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 21, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, right, has them, hears my commands, then obeys them, he is the one who loved me, loves me. He who loves me will be loved too by my Father. I too will love him, and pay attention to this last phrase, and will show myself to him. There's a sense in which as we obey God, Jesus discloses himself further to us. Who he is, his will, his person. It's like the person who takes the foreign language, right? If you learn Italian, and you, you go and you hit the streets of Italy, you put it into practice, you start practicing it, you'll begin to, to, you'll begin to learn new dialects. You'll, you'll see different nuances that can't be fully appreciated just from the textbook. 
You learn the Italian slang. I don't know any. All right? With all this, I, I, my big fear this morning, I've, I've tried to approach this very cautiously. You notice I didn't even put notes on the back of the bulletin this morning. Pretty blank. Because I didn't want this to seem like a formula from hearing from God. Because it's not. These things I mentioned. God has will speak however he wishes to. Amen? Only that historically through the testimony to, uh, of his word, he tends to be heard more consistently by people who put themselves in positions to examine their heart, to listen to what he says, and then to do what they hear. This might, the sermon, this message from, from Solomon, Ecclesiastes 5, might not even be for you today. It might be something to tuck away for later, but it can start today. And for us, rather than making it complicated, let's start hearing from God by simply going to the cross to examine ourselves and die to self. Let's pray. Lord, so many of us find ourselves between one of two extremes. We either want to hear from you and we, we're not sure we ever have. Or on the other extreme, we too flippantly said, yeah, I think I heard from God. Father, help us start listening to you by going to the cross, by looking at our own hearts, being honest. Where is my life oriented? And if I'm honest with myself, Lord, I woke up this morning oriented towards myself and you took me to the cross to know that Jesus loved me enough to die for me. And that motivates me to want to die to self and live for him and, and revisit that message, that truth starts there, Lord. It opens up the receptacles, the filters to start hearing and listening. Help us start there, Lord. And in many ways this morning, I think the sermon can be summarized, Lord, by, by looking, listening, and doing. Looking at our hearts, listening to you, especially through your word, and then doing. Father, as we go along this journey of trying to hear what you, God of the universe, is saying, the one who... You know, so other than us, help us, Lord. Help us be in awe and listen, quietness. In Jesus' name, amen.